Incoming. Incoming. Prepare yourself for Rumors of War 1987. Greetings and salutations out there in Dreamland. This is Rumors of War 1987. Back again with another installation of the Know Thy Enemy series. And this one is going to be about the Notwaffen again. It's going to be about the Dark Fleet again. But it's going to focus more squarely on the subject of their military forces, their military doctrines, and their culture of war, and their relationship with violence and conflict in the Cosmic Wars than the previous video did. My previous video of the Dark Fleet, not often... Um, they, that was, uh, that focused more on their ideology, naturally. I let myself channel and flow when I make these videos. I do them in one take. Um, they take a lot out of me. They, they take a lot of energy. I really do do it in one take. Um, I know they're usually close to an hour recently, but that is the information channeling out of me. And into, um, these summarizations, these videos these uh briefings and uh if you could like subscribe and share to anyone you might think might profit from these videos i'd greatly appreciate that i greatly appreciate your support i greatly appreciate your viewership and um you know it is my honor to to serve you as a thirsting community with the waters of knowledge and the waters of experience so let's get on with it okay so um, the SS Dark Fleet, the, the Notwaffen, I mean, it, the Notwaffen is a development ultimately from the SS to understand where they are now and how they operate and why they operate the way they do. Um, as a cartel type force, as a overwhelming Blitzkrieg fleet oriented uh, force, you have to understand their origins and the philosophy of their creation, the nature of their creation. They started out as an occult um, society uh, that was funded by the Nazi war regime. And so they were vessels of the state. They were a branch and a division of the state representing the occult and supernatural interests and ideologies that had already um, ideal, uh, you know, I, uh, a system, a, a caste already heavy in ideologies. Um they were the exploring, they were the Ananarboring, and they eventually evolved to be the Dark Fleet, not Fleet, because they became associated with Vril during their research and during their uh, explorations of the world. They were also a private police. They were a private security force. They were like the army, but they were not officially connected to the traditions of the army. Thus, they were able to create new doctrines and have new recruitment standards and new initiation ceremonies that went beyond the traditional tribe of the Dutch, uh, the, the Deutsch, the Dutchlanders, the Germans as we call them. They were able to make themselves into a 20th century Aryan um, inspired ancient mystery worshipping cult and in these meditations and in and gathering of these artifacts and the exploration of these occult uh, tribes such as the Tibetans and such as the um, remnants of the Mayan in Mexico and the African uh, the Egyptians in Africa they were able to uh, 
harness and master the, the creation of real and um, as well as communicate with the occult, what they thought were demons were actually Orion Draco. And the Orion Draco held their hands in a, and rose them from the ranks of mere men in the industrial age to pioneers of the new space age. They basically were the first modern people not connected to the Mayan Aztec uh, old world to endeavor in space travel and endeavor in the ideas of colonizing space, uh, creating forces to uh, battle in the cosmic wars and to use these forces to um, destroy their enemies on the earth and to gain greater authority everywhere. Ultimately, though, they weren't allowed to do that in this timeline. There was a lot of uh, conflict from the Ashtar Command and the Greys that already had uh, been in civil war with or open rebellion against the Orion Draco. It was too much for them to really just, just uh, enter and walk into. Uh, too contested of a land so they moved further to the fringes of the cosmos as soon as they could leaving um covert and highly guarded supply chains from the earth to the stars uh, and to the to the outer fringes the outer planets i'm sorry uh don't want to get too dramatic or poetic there you know they, they ascended to the stars but no like yes they did move off world to other celestial bodies other heavenly bodies and they uh started actively participating in the cosmic war first in the astral war war which is the 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 mindscape the dream the dreamland the um the spiritual uh higher dimensional resonances that say the Ashtar uh, High Command exists so strongly and or the Orion Dracos exists so strongly and they started uh, apprenticing into that kind of art of war. They started apprenticing into that mindset, that, that ability to harness energies and from then they were able to enter the cosmic war um, so they kind of approached it in a reverse method that most other races and species do, which they approach it from a physical side, then learn about their ascendancy, learn about their astral powers. Later, they learn about their astral powers first, and then had to physically hammer everything out and create the, the fleet that they then called, you know, the Notwaffen. They built this, this fleet off-world. They built it using Orion Draco designs. They... Um, had extremely brilliant engineers and extremely brilliant scientists uh, shuttle off and, uh, be, you know, harbor in these off-world colonies. They were given uh, near unlimitless resources and perfect blueprints, perfect uh, lessons from the from these ascended masters, the Orion Draco, and uh, using Vril as a power source, using Vril as... You know, some kind of uh, miraculous uh, zero-point energy. They were able to create a rather substantial fleet really fast. Now, they still have the ties to Earth in the Antarctic region. They still have their ties to New Schwabenland and their their covert uh, dealings around the world. And so they were able, with other various industrial powers, so they have to supply the staff for this dark fleet that they created, and they decided to use human slaves. They would use human slaves. They could already uh, approach them on the astral plane, and they would get these slaves and use them as the staff. Their soldier cast, their their actual warrior cast, the the, the army and the special forces that they use, 
uh, would be drawn from the from from the the most premier gene stock of the slave caste, and um, most people who are abducted into the dark fleet are just merely workers they're merely technicians but a select percentage becomes these super soldiers these uber soldats these uber minches which are biologically engineered given steroids given growth hormones given um the best training the best uh nutrition and then forced into regiments of virtual reality and simulated combat until they are extremely proficient and adept at being shock troopers of being suicidal uh, one-man armies basically and these gigantic Arnold Schwarzenegger guys are not really given you know very much more than they would encounter in the 20th century as uh, as war fighters this started happening in the 40s and 50s and really saw its heyday in the 60s until they started being able to to uh to cultivate enough members of their own society and off-world colonies to supply the army. They use standardized weaponry, German steel, German uh, ammunition. They use um, NATO-configured rounds, for example. NATO is a great war uh, engine for them. It's a great manufacturer. And it's able to requisition and, and service the logistical base on Earth to supply them with weaponry. Um so are the individual German manufacturers, say it's like Keckler and Coke, uh, you know, um, et cetera, et cetera. And they have Antarctic factories. They have factories in Antarctica. They have bases in Antarctica. Now, due to their limited in, uh, numbers and their great need for individuals to staff, the, staff these fleets and to serve in these armies because they have the problem of having too many wars and not enough people to fight them. They have battlefronts all in hundreds of areas. They have battle zones, area, hundreds of areas, active battle zones off, off on colonies that extend all the way to Pluto and as far as, as Earth. And so... You know, it's a lot on their plate. There's a massive undertaking of theirs. So they started being able to recruit women. They they actively recruit women. They do not uh, segregate their battle commands or their their actual platoon structures or their fire teams or their uh, rifle teams. Um, They operate as in any position a man would. They operate in any uh, vocation a man could undertake or specialization a man could undertake. There is no segregation. Their working class that was brought from the Antarctic and from the German army, you know, from the German military machine during the Third Reich and the War II era of the Earth, they were becoming extremely good at operating these personal power vehicles, which were experimental top-secret technologies at the time. And Antarctica, for example, they were able to clear out and, and uh, recondition a bunch of caverns and mines and deep underwater bases using these full armored diving suits. Now, of course, being a war regime, being a, the Dark Fleet is a war cartel, they repurpose these mechanical uh, industrial engineering suits, these re- maintenance suits, these repair suits, and created them as mobile weapons platforms. They give them only to the most elite uh, soldiers and only the most intelligent soldiers who can actually operate them and coordinate the, the movements and the efforts. But they do have these and they do... Um, uh, they have inspired the tradition which followed which was to build mechs and to build uh, 
armored uh, infantry to build armored companies that would serve as their ground level territorial um, domination force. They're they're basically they're dominating uh, the off-world colonies with their vehicles and their uh, robotics and their armor. They have, like I said before, they have a kind of a staffing issue. They they always need more people than they can ever produce. Uh, but at the same time, these individuals given these suits, these individuals given this armor are, are as capable as a hundred men, sometimes even a thousand men. And when you think about the situation uh, as being the aggression happening off off world on these colonies which may have limited populations themselves may have limited infrastructure may have limited development these mechanized suits which if you ever read Heinlein Starship Troopers the original version they are in these jumpsuits these powered jetpack mechanical suits and they launch nukes from portable heavy weapons uh, uh, pods on their on their bodies and they're able to nuke cities just just each individual soldier is able to drop onto a planet annihilate this like a surrounding hundreds of miles uh, and and jump thousands of miles they operate like a little jet like a little like a little jet plane now their systems have evolved from just mere engineering suits mere technical suits meant for welding or or high pressure diving in the depths to uh dealing with lifting massive loads and they have become more sleek more efficient more experimental to the ways of war um they use a combination of they went from pure steel pure titanium pure copper and brass to a combination of fabrics uh spider silk uh, which is they trade for which they also genetically grow kevlar which is a very high priced commodity over there that's a luxury item but it's extremely uh valuable you know for its purpose basically their economy is run by its usefulness for soldiers they trade weapons they trade firearms they trade explosive material they trade armored material like ceramic plating they trade food they trade slaves uh they trade components for machines like mechanical supplies they trade that because each fleet needs a ready supply of these things to successfully undertake their missions to serve the orion draco masters you know they are not really giving themselves their own orders but they have to serve out their orders to to make their end of the deal um uh that they made with the orion draco you know so they don't renege on that deal um but they also started to, to work with robotics, especially the corpses of individual soldiers that are reclaimed from the battlefield as casualties. They will incorporate into bio-robotics as best they can, supplying the living tissue as a type of vessel for the real piloting to kind of, a, like, they act as zombies. They don't have AI, but they'll use these macabre zombie-type cyborgs where they'll get a human body, rewire them, uh, put in engines, uh, whatever, uh, mechanical bones and gears inside, and then uh, use them as a limited intelligence uh, weapons platform operated by Vril, by Vril magic, by a Vril meditating war priestess who... uh, can pilot them through suggestion and they were experimenting with this technology in world war ii to 
to try to defy the Russian uh, counterattacks and try to defy the, the, the invasion of the West, uh, the Western theater, because they were running out of people then, and they were saying, well, we could just use prisoners of war, slain people in battle on both sides, and create a zombie robotic army. Um, but, like I said, this, this thankfully didn't come to pass in our timeline in any way that would affect the, the Earth's authority the, the way that we know it. But they were very, um, very advanced when it comes to the science of creating robotoids. Um, and they also have another ace in their, their sleeve because of their, the creation of robotics, which is the Japanese imperialists, the, the industrial Japanese have also joined them or they were allowed they were invited to join them once you know the solar war once the dark fleet was getting uh created once they were being able to uh understand and, and better equi- like, you know uh better understand the terms of the deal that was being made and better understand the abilities that they would get and the imperial japanese joined them and they i know this sounds uh, far-fetched that a Teutonic Aryan ideal race would accept them, but they were allies. They did respect them. They respected their intellect. They respected their abilities and their culture. Um, we were dealing with mechanics and mechanical uh, weaponry infantry, uh, sorry, mechanical infantry, or what you would call it, uh, bipedal uh, armor, bipedal uh, mechanized armor. That subsect technology, mechs, were a thing that was being that was being developed during this time, specifically for wars in Europe, specifically because tanks on treads are not adequate to maneuver the the terrain of the Russian and German forests with the mud, the snow, the the flooding, the the softness of earth, and so these. These intergendered regiments, these intergendered uh, battalions began to form inside the Dark Fleet using the mechanized infantry, using walkers, and um, that design, it became the template for all the Dark Fleet. Generally, every Dark Fleet's ground forces mimic this model, and given that the the advancements of the Japanese industrial uh, machine had already understood and developed the axis necessary to uh, like the balancing act necessary to create these these walking tanks that they were able to support um, that they were able to then use that technology shrink it down and create cy- uh, not cy- yeah, basically cyborgs uh, uh, humanoid robotics you know yeah, basically androids and these androids are thus um the, the evolution of these cyborg zombie soldiers you know they were they were able to basically create these walkers using the singular technology the singular like uh, engineering concepts and thus able to apply it to every spect- every uh, facet of their military every element of their military now some require human pilots uh, in fact a lot of them do and the dark fleet's piloting uh core their culture around piloting vehicles their culture of operating vehicles is very important to them and i'll get into that in a minute when i talk about their actual flying vessels and their, their flying vehicles about how important the, the piloting culture is to them 
But yes, this was the the central gyroscopic uh, hip, uh, the, the 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 axis balancing axis, to operate these robotic uh, infantry, and. Um, Yes, it does take a lot of practice to get used to. Yes, it takes a lot of training. Uh, yes, it's not what you would naturally see as the simplest solution. But given their incredibly complex terrain that they constantly have to uh, endeavor against when it comes to mining operations and various landscapes, the hostility that they encounter, the, the barrenness that they encounter, these walkers are actually a great achievement engineering-wise. They are an expert uh, achievement when it comes to uh, martial technology. And it's because of this that they're able to have converted their technology of the 40s and 50s into serviceable um, mechs, into serviceable, you know, why, why beat around the bush and deciding what to call them? They're, they're mechs. That these mechs are now the backbone of their blitzkriegs, of now their their um, their infantry, their their ground forces. They're able to do incredibly nuanced maneuvers, even though they may not have any great benefit over uh, convention, you know, our conventional vehicles. I know it takes a lot to wrap your mind around that this is actually, you know the way the dark fleet operates is using these mechs but they're able to say leap or, or dodge or juke or not you know like like uh, uh, rains like they, they can fight against getting stuck uh they can fight against uh slipping uh you know uh and fight against rough terrain or deep water it's incredibly useful the united states air force has the was developing uh, mechs in the 50s <clears throat> and it was developing mechs in the 50s to it to approach radio, uh, radiation-heavy zones after nuclear weapons were either lost or detonated. So after the nuclear apocalypse, after World War III, we were going to have mechs go in and be able to repair cities, uh, rescue, and or continue the fight, continue the battle. And so it is not a crazy idea. It is not an idea that is so far-fetched that America didn't create our own. In our own time, the Germans and the Japanese allies that they have up there, the, the Dark Fleet, the Notwaffen, followed this path of thought, followed this timeline of, of, of being and creation, and thus created basically armies of these uh, pilotable mechs, these, which are either piloted from human pilots with their own free will or are created to be piloted by Vril as as because they don't use supercomputers they don't use ai um and the fact they're very suspicious of ai uh, but they they will pilot it using vril like you can be uh possessed by a vril witch and her astral astral projected spirit or a corpse a, a basically a dead but fresh living human brain um Implanted into the creature, into this tank, the spider tank, and it acts as if though, it, you know, on the basic impulses of intelligence, on the basic impulses of following its its previous orders and things like that. Um, and and because of that, they're kind of like you know death coffins, they're walking coffins. These spider tanks are uh, able to maneuver in underground, in hollow earth situations, in cave situations. They're able to climb mountains and very steep terrain. Um, they're able to operate in ruined cities par excellence. Uh, they are n second to none when it comes to actually operating in urban environments, urban warfare vitamins. 
They can scale buildings. They can hide in uh, unconventional spots. They can gain angles of attack that are unheard of when it comes to armored uh, engagements or armored uh, armored vehicles, armored weaponry. They uh, provide every single type of armored uh, support function that you can imagine from um, rapid fire, anti-personnel, uh, close combat suppression, uh, close combat support and fire suppression to armor piercing, uh, long range artillery for hard targets such as bunkers, uh, other armored vehicles. They serve as tank killers. They serve as anti-aircraft vehicles. They serve as electronic communication vehicles as support, uh, troop support and uh, transport. They serve as, you know, everything from, uh, front line spearhead type um, formation leaders to uh, you know uh, long distance um, you know I guess uh, artillery support vehicles like over the horizon like I mean but I meant over the horizon or they serve as uh, you know uh, elements which can be which can operate for long periods uh, alone or they, they work well in formation. Um, but really what it comes to it is the beauty behind the being powered by corpses, being powered by the recently dead, or the recently, the casualties, the severely wounded, rather not so much the recently dead, but the severely wounded, because it allows the, it allows the, the, the casualties of these war zones of this of this hostile operation because they operate in ceaseless warfare they not often operate in ceaseless warfare and it's this constant perpetual war it would be an infinity war that it it serves their ideology of immortality that there will only be constant war periods of rest as a reward and then constant war again like a Valhalla but it also is a it's a it's a way to mitigate the stress, the anxiety, and the fear because it's like a, a reward for the soldier to enter into the service of one of these walking tanks. And the tanks themselves um, become uh, individualized. They become almost uh, worshipped by the, the not often and very individualized, very stylized, very honored. And so there's this very macabre sense of them uh, being very... Uh, respectful and uh, loving to these machines that are that are living coffins, basically that they're active war fighting coffins, um, sarcophagi that contain the remains of a crippled and and mortally wounded uh, dark wing super soldier, and that it's become it's like a you know a vaunted uh, a vaunted fate, you know, like a very honorable fate. And a lot of them choose to live out the rest of their existence in complete and total warfare and combat engagements, being supported by uh, dropped or, or basically high orbit dropped resources such as fuel and uh, ammo, but oftentimes being left alone as as out, as uh, as uh, sentries or as as uh, defenders of outposts or as solitary uh, rogue uh, patrols. And they'll do that until literally their services, that their, their components rust or that they, they break down and are left behind to the ages. There are still some operating now 
that have been operating for decades in certain areas, uh, eliminate, seeking and eliminating targets and enemies as they see them and as they see fit. They come in a variety of designs, and they're mostly made by the Japanese industrial um, side of the, the Dark Fleet, that, that not often engineered by them as well. But a lot of things are convertible. A lot of these these, these designs are convertible to pre-existing, um, it was, you'd call them surface earth or earth uh, military tanks. They will constantly deal and trade for new parts. They were constantly deal and trade for new um, replacements uh, for, for the main components, like the turrets, the weapons. So they don't really produce individualized uh, new designs for the weaponry. It's basically just this new concept of locomotion. It's this new concept of piloting a new power source. These bigger tanks, the bigger vehicles, will have several corpses inside of them. They will have several human human brain stems and uh, brains and, and central nervous systems piloting and coordinating their functions. Some, you know, working as drivers, others working as uh, as uh, as aiming or weapons uh, systems operators, others working as um, the communication systems or, you know, the... the the guidance, or the, I guess you would call it, yeah, just the communication systems of it, re- relaying information of their own status to the Vril uh, priestesses, who, like I said, they, they don't really work on supercomputers or very high-tech communication technology, but they have a very strong astral presence. So these tanks do have an astral presence. These tanks do dream. These tanks do have a uh, presence in the dreamscape, uh, it's, as do their mech suits, as do uh, most, most, as does most of their weaponry. It's very disturbing when you encounter one on your astral uh, traveling, when you're actually lucid dreaming, and you encounter a lobotomized, nightmare-fuel-living uh, weapon, a living tank that has been basically mutilated and, and fit and repurposed, but enjoys it and is, you know, driven... Uh, it is a horrifying encounter. It is a horrifying... Uh, ontological experience, existential experience but the technology has already improved in their in their culture as i was looking at it in the late the early 2000s or i was looking at it around 2010 2011 12 the japanese element the industrialists there had already their scientists their engineers their technicians had already created um very competent and very capable humanoid androids, humanoid uh, soldiers that served the purposes of the ground soldiers because, like I said, these uber soldiers, these super soldiers are hard to come by and they're very rare to get to a physical level. And they still they have such a high demand for service by the Orion Draco and their masters that their officers just need to supply warriors to battlefields, need to supply some kind of physical presence, some kind of land force to these colonies, to their mining operations to provide security and hostile worlds to provide, um, you know, uh, offensive capabilities to, to already existing uh, operations and campaigns. And so, yes, these androids exist. These androids are not as competent as AI driven androids they're not like greys they're definitely not like greys um they're not like uh, human ai or earth ai the solar warden ai at all either because 
our AI has the the strange, uncanny valley ability to have personalities, or and is very suspicious when it comes to their true motives and and agendas. These AI are just robotic. They are just simply sentries that have pre-programmed uh, instructions on how to operate and and function. They are piloted by humans who join them. They may not be extremely proximate to them, but they are within range to communicate with them uh, using Vril and using Vril-powered um, psionics. And, you know, they, they operate using computers and cameras to equate the sensors and to see through the robotic uh, uh, cameras and monitor their situation and stuff. But they're as disconnected as someone piloting a drone or piloting an RC car and a remote-controlled vehicle, because to them it is just a way of controlling multiple remote-controlled vehicles using some kind of virtual reality interface and, uh, you know, Wi-Fi system. But that Wi-Fi system is created by sexual orgone energy. Their technicians are able to produce these uh, relatively very... You know, they, they produce them in mass. They, they mass produce these things. They, they're not quite as easy to produce as, say, simple items like, a, a, you know, a car or a computer. But they're relatively mass producible. And so there have been an exponential growth in the service of these androids to the point that they're getting less and less human slaves from the earth and from the S their, their old treaties to industrial powers and relying more and more on these androids. <clears throat> They're replacing most of their population silently and secretly with androids. And the androids are not being really told that. They're just simple robotic NPCs that have no uh, astral presence. They have no dreams. But they are possessed of great physical durability and great physical stamina. Um... In fact, giving them AI control is kind of shunned. It's kind of uh, it's kind of uh, looked on with, with high suspicion and great uh, hostility in the Dark Fleet higher officership and the high command of the Dark Fleet. They do not want an AI uprising. They do not want the AI to gain uh, any kind of foothold in the industrial uh, production of these androids. They are operated with this kind of plastic flesh with this kind of synthetic flesh, so it's not like a lot of them have exposed wiring or gears, but it is completely artificial. There is no flesh or bone or brain matter, no organic components to the androids, even though the androids are typically made to look like physically, like they're made to look like people. And it's, it's because the Dark Fleet's suspicion of robotics that they are tried, to, they, the Japanese know that they have to, to make them look as human as possible. It's also for the human's desire to be, you know, hedonistic and carnal with these robots. These robots oftentimes serve as the industrialists' harems. Uh, most of the higher officers have harems of these, uh, these machines, the, these androids, these synthetic humanoid machines. They also serve as uh, everything from blood sport com uh, combatants to 
uh, professional entertainers to pornography uh, actresses and the pornographers to um, they would work in extremely hostile environments that were typically only reserved for the worst of the slave class. They was they are served as uh, live fire exercise material for the weaponry when it's being tested and for soldiers when they're being tested. In fact, a lot of the Dark Fleet's uber soldiers, a lot of their super soldiers, uh, te- uh, begin their careers first by training uh, with their weaponry against these AI, uh, not the AI, against these humanoid robo- uh, robotics, these uh, androids. They test fire into the androids. They test. Uh, they test their killing abilities. They test their, their techniques and their strengths. And they, and the the r- robots are ignorant of the entire situation, just suffering the violence perpetrated upon them by the super soldiers. And the Japanese also uh, provide a lot of the testing and research and development of the technologies that the Dark Fleet would then send out to its soldier cast. So you see that they have more of a background role and they have more of an engineering um, they, they contribute more engineering, they contribute more technology than most of the existing Dark Fleet does. Most of the existing Noctawaffen staff and officership do the logistics and they run the culture and they enjoy the culture they they operate as laborers they operate as the uh you know army class and they operate as the officership and they operate as the priest class the japanese operate as the engineers as the computer scientists as the creators the artists the entertainers the uh foods uh you know the the cooks the cleaners etc etc and the cast of slaves is required to operate on both realms both sides of the spectrum and they operate the hazardous jobs and the 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 boring jobs the 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 menial labor jobs that that really outnumber the other elite positions 10 to 1 and no one really wants to do (laughs) well now those slaves are being replaced by human androids but their slaves are still existent. There are hundreds of colonies. Millions of these slaves that are going to be returned are destroyed. Uh, millions of clones. Uh, millions of Dark Fleet members themselves. But they still are requiring billions of people, billions of individuals to fill the required labor slots to, to fit the man hours that they need to complete their various missions and campaigns and tasks. As well as fulfill their cartel needs. Their air vehicles, I'm very excited to discuss this, their air vehicles, because the f- specific focus I was um, brought to the SSB to achieve was as an aviation specialist. A, I was in the U.S. Navy as an aviation specialist, as an aviation electrician, and they brought me into the SSB from childhood, knowing that I would be this, knowing that I have a love of planes and aviation and air air warfare strategy, logistics, creation of technology, um, strategy, etc., etc. And when I studied the Dark Fleet, I studied their aviation capabilities. I studied their technology. It. Um, uh, their tactics and the history of their battles and etc etc they operate as a three-tier type uh, threat and the, the three tiers are the altitudes which are being discussed low altitude which is from the ground to uh, high orbit 
high orbit to low orbit, and then high or uh, it is basically outer space, or we should call it deep space. Their low orbit is brutal. They rely on carpet bombing. They rely on dropping fighters from high orbit down to low orbit by the dozen, and they send waves and hundreds of these fighters, which operate in these incredibly coordinated squadrons, to uh, raise targets, target ground troops, any cities, rural, uh, uh, any cities are urban, um, civilization zones, or be carpet bombed, ground forces of the enemy, or any kind of presence that they deem strategically worthy will be pelted or be bombarded by these carpet bombs, by these bombs in mass, uh, and they will send wave after wave after wave until the, the, the mission is accomplished. If the battle is, is requiring anything more, they will then attack from high orbit using um, orbital bombardment, nuclear weapons, high-impact tungsten rounds fired from massive cannons, high powered lasers to to scorch and melt um basically glass the surface and they will use dozens of those large battle cruisers those large uh uh deployable aircraft carrier size ships if not larger being a pilot in dark fleet is by far the most prestigious occupation in their society in their entire civilization piloting for the war effort, piloting in the, the Dark Fleet Navy, the Notwaffen Navy, as a fighter pilot, first and foremost, is the most prestigious, as a bomber pilot, the second, and as, of course, the, the list goes on until you get to large ship pilots, uh, which are coordinated efforts, and they wear that as a mark of honor and prestige they are so proud of the fact that they are incorporated in this not in this dark fleet and flying um for the dark fleet for the not often they are incredibly skilled pilots they train from birth to be pilots typically it's an inherited position so that your father is a pilot and then you are a pilot they're they're genetically free-born children uh their parents are paired um and the ideals of eugenics to create this this piloting class, this this uh, super class of citizenry that is highly intelligent, that is given the best in life, the greatest luxuries, as long as they are able to re- re- fulfill this requirement of being a pilot. Um, they have the no expense spared, greatest technologies, greatest uh, adepthood into the vril. They are then allowed to participate in these campaigns which oftentimes require aerial engagements orbital bombardments mass bombing campaigns fire bombing campaigns um, and wholesale destruction of the enemy total war total destruction of the enemy uh, and they do so dozens of times in their career the highest officer class will still actively fly, will still actively choose to engage in the, the enemy in a physical uh, capacity, not just sit inside a command ship or in a, a council on a base uh, calling out strategic shots and, and giving orders. They will actively participate in the, the glassing and orbital bombardments of, of planets. Specifically because they just love the action so much. They just want that experience.
Now, the this is just an example of one of the terrestrial like, grounds they had in the 40s. Uh, these these cannon these 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 cannon rounds these these large artillery rounds now fired from similar cannons above the orbit of the planet from outer space and they're made of tungsten and depleted uranium and the hardest materials like titanium and they are fired at railgun speeds directly into the earth's core or into the, the colony or the planet's core no matter if the colony exists at uh, the colony they're targeting exists underground or they're dealing with a civilization that lives in a subterranean uh capacity or they're dealing with uh creatures that have heavily fortified uh you know cities these will penetrate and they call them earth crush uh earth crushers and basically if i'm getting it right yeah they call them earth crushers they basically just smash down to the tectonic plates and their impact zones they're not radioactive typically they don't leave mushroom clouds well they do they do have hydrogen bombs they will use nukes to uh you know destroy cities but they will just crush kinetically drive themselves into the earth that that planet or that moon's core and usually in their impacts uh zones they release magma and it causes a lot of volcanic activity worldwide earthquakes um if they hit the ocean there's a lot of uh tsunami and storm effects they it is a devastating attack, a devastating type of tactic that they use, but it's extremely simple and it's extremely brutally effective. And it's they'll have hundreds of guns this size uh, on one of these capital ships, one of these uh, these flying aircraft carriers, and they will fire them broadside in unison, and they are all rapid fire. So within a couple of minutes, they can launch hundreds of these shells. Each go so so you have your 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 colony. Say your colony is the size of New York City and it operates on you know a, a fault line. They will drive enough of these shells to create the largest earthquake that you could ever experience in that city and re- reduce the whole thing to rubble well they will liquefy the ground that the city's foundation is built in and the city will sink into the earth if you're on an island they will demolish the island until it is underneath the sea there is so much kinetic force in these weapons now, they fear the AI, remember, they do fear the AI, so they operate aiming and navigation from their foot soldiers through the Vril. And while they're doing these, these, these orbital campaigns, while they're doing these campaigns of air war and ground war, they, their Vril priestesses, the Vril uh, masterhood of the mastery, the master, I'm sorry, the Vril masters that they have in their society are communicating with uh, the Orion Draco overlords that they have on the astral realm, making sure that the species of the enemy that they're encountering is destroyed on the astral realm itself. So not only are they nuking you physically, or not only are they, 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 are they using hydrogen nuke and bombs on you physically, they are attacking you mentally and spiritually, erasing your existence from from uh, you know the records the akashic records 
and they do so almost entirely on the command of the Orion Draco. They have their own uh, reasoning. They have their own uh, ability to to wage war and to to um, start war, decide to start war. But typically, almost ninety nine percent of the time, it's because the Orion Draco have told them to do this. So they are basically uh, absorbing that karmic destruction, that that karmic imprint from destroying. Uh, creatures and intelligences on multiple dimensional levels onto them and the Orion Draco are kind of only becoming accessories to the fact or associates of the fact and for doing so the Orion Draco are giving them the designs and the technology for vehicles and for weaponry and for fleet vehicles which they could never really dream of so this ancient power is giving them the order and that they're following the order for the for the chance to get technology and weaponry to follow the order uh, more ruthlessly, more efficiently, more uh, to demonstrate more power and authority and destructive uh, power over the world. Um, it's incredible uh, how dark the Dark Fleet really is. And ultimately, they're trying to do this so the Orion Draco give them eternal life. Because they realize, having done it, and having been the instrument of it, that that you can be destroyed and uh, made to go extinct on all levels of your existence. Spiritual, physical, and that that's what they, they're hoping to avoid with uh, with immortality. And creating this, this war effort, war this machine. War well, this has been Rumors of War 1987. Uh, thank you for taking this ride with me. God bless you. Iron sharpens iron, and a friend sharpens a friend. Uh, please like and subscribe and share. And uh, thank you very much. Okay.
Incoming. 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 Prepare yourself for Rumors of War 1987. Hello, greetings and salutations to everyone out there in Dreamland. This is Rumors of War 1987. Back again with another installment of my series, Know the Enemy. A introduction and discussion of the factions that are considered the most powerful inside the cosmic war of the many many alien species that do exist uh, rumored to be up to the hundreds uh, i think roughly 900 was the last speculation um there are only a handful which deserve specific special notice and um, summarization of their existence um inside the solar system this time, we're going to focus on the Noctowafen. We're going to focus on the Dark Fleet, which is the name popularly given to the Third Reich's space force, the secret space program of Nazi Germany, which has evolved to become a industrial shipping cartel, <clears throat> colonizing cartel, and um, breakaway civilization of humankind, of mankind, into the extent of the solar system, particularly the moons of Jupiter, the Kyber Belt, uh, colonies on Mars, and uh, beyond, which includes Saturn, Neptune, Uranus. Uh, they have colonies as far as Pluto, as far as the edge of the known uh, galaxy, as the, I mean, so the, the known solar system. Uh, my last on that last that one. Okay, so. Um, the Secret Space Age began for the Dark Fleet, which, by the way, their official recognized name is the Giza Intelligence Group, the GIG, and that's how they operate on Earth um, in all their dealings and doings. We colloquially call them the Dark Fleet because not so much of their ethics or their, their appearance, but because they move without uh, notification, they move without uh, GPS or call sign that's available to us generally. But yes, this breakaway civilization has been a large part of the covert wars going on, of the break of the uh, cosmic wars. They were the mankind's introduction to such matters. They were basically the spear point, the, the pioneer type um, extension of, of Earth's evolution into a star-faring uh, star fleet, a power able to colonize and exhibit military control over uh, the resources available first on the moon, which they were able to colonize in the 40s, uh, that... You know, um, Mars, the Kyber Belt, and then the moons of Jupiter proceeding in the next decades. The Germans were incredibly intelligent uh, as a culture. As a civilization, they expressed a fondness for engineering uh, and the higher sciences, metallurgies, chemistry, etc., etc. And so they had the recipe for creating a secret space program. What they needed was the spark, was the inspiration to uh, basically consolidate all these resources that the state had the access to to create these special uh, space forces and the reptilians the Orion Draco who had already lost a lot of their holdings on earth uh, were willing to strike a deal by inspiring them teaching them the ways of Vril teaching them their um, ancestral knowledge their collective understanding of the, of the universe uh, in 
exchange for their servitude, for their their deep alliance and sub, sorry subjugation. And the Dark Fleet was willing to accept this because their original, you know, uh, creators were in on the losing side of a world war. They were on the losing side of history in this timeline, and they understood that. So they retreated to Antarctica, they retreated to the moon, their bases on the moon, and began work on creating a fleet of these ships, which their blueprints were handed to them by the Orion Draco, and they were just the Orion Draco vessels, the Orion Draco technology, the Orion Draco logistics and infrastructure uh, organizational charts, basically, and their their, uh, old technology, their old uh, uh, fashionable designs for their ships. And so they didn't really invent a lot of the stuff they ended up creating. They were just able to provide um, the extra hands, the the necessary motivation and uh, people, the manpower, to create this fleet for the first time uh, in the modern world. Uh, They did so with the material resources found in Antarctica and found in the moon. A lot of resources. It's a it's a paradise, basically, when it comes to industrialization and uh, resources such as uh, titanium, uranium, plutonium, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we were able. They basically quieted us when we went to stop them. When we went to try to uh, cut off their support in Antarctica, because they're still anchored to the Earth. And their source for personnel and their source for uh, material and trade and, and economy, but they are beyond the Earth's authority. They are they are independent. They are an independent breakaway civilization that has millions, if not billions, of staff already, and uh, hundreds of colonies across the solar system, which are they rival the you know Western Hemisphere when it comes to production capability and uh, to wealth. Uh, you know, just because this is a foreign moon does not mean it has everything that the Earth doesn't have or everything the Earth has and more. But they were able to trade technology from the very first days, trade uh, influence and trade intellect from the very first days to uh, basically seduce us, to, to get us on their terms, to get us allied to them. And they started from a society of theosophists, theosophists. They created the SS they created the Vril Society. They created the Society of the Black Sun. And, uh, of course, they were helped out by Germanic Freemasons who uh, served as the organizers and the, the, the organizers of man and manpower to uh, effectively get the military-industrial industri- the complex of Germany, the military-industrial uh, side of things, in gear producing super weapons, producing wonder weapons, as they were called, for the technical... De- uh, development of war fighting uh, technology for the to win the war to turn the tides of the war and this advanced technology was requisitioned but they knew using real meditation using the uh, the powers that were given to them psychically by the Orion Draco and was, were being manipulated and harnessed by them that they were not going to win in this timeline they were not going to achieve victory against the United States as much as they desired it or you know the, the rest of the world as much as they desired it the Third Reich wasn't going to be an actual thing unless they travel to the stars unless they travel to uh, deeper into the solar system and join the Orion Draco they seduced the frill priestesses the priestess class who 
were unblemished humans, uh, Nordics, who were also virgins, and they used uh, orgone. They used a sexual hypnosis that would later become the MK Ultra program. They used that to uh, infiltrate their dreams, infiltrate their minds uh, generationally until eventually they produced a generation that was willing to understand the real knowledge and understand the real teachings as if though they were blessings and these women who were uh, ultimately just witches they were ultimately occultists and uh, dark magicians uh, gave this information they were conduits to it to the industrial leaders to the engineers of the german empire uh, the third reich and then they were able to travel to the stars they still use this power this is their main uh economy this is your main fuel source the priestesses are still ruling classes they're still uh, aristocracy and they are able to harness the real energy of their communities of their colonies and thus they require uh excessive manpower slaves and you know fuel for this real and the fuel for real is orgone which is human sexuality it's human sex energy they use basically a harness sex magic to create the fuel which powers their ships and powers their colonies they don't use supercomputers they use uh real and real orgone and real orgone is basically like a uh you know, it's, it's an extra-dimensional fuel. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's limitless once it's harnessed. And they, they have infiltrated Hollywood. They have infiltrated our social media, our culture, our pop culture. And they are referenced as the Illuminati. The elements which still exist on Earth are referenced as the Illuminati. And these uh, these hedonistic occultists, these, these people who deal in decadence, were the remnants of the Nazi German um, operation which was visited directly by the Orion Draco so they viewed them as like reptilian gods as you know manifestations of satanic powers but really they were the Orion Draco and that's the fuel they harnessed they were given this ancient technology this ancient knowledge of how to run the pre-existing technology on earth and through the Ananarbe which is their archaeological uh wing the division of the third reich which explored and performed archaeological duties they were able to uh discover the truth behind a lot of these these temples a lot of these old world uh, wonders and find out that they were space these cities were space ports these cities were uh conduits these cities were depositories for ancient knowledge and once they left earth they were able to a uh, harness and and exploit the resources beyond the solar system and um they were able to operate freely away from others censor or others hostility so for the first 10 to 20 years up until the 60s the dark fleet was operating completely uh rogue they were operating until the late 50s completely rogue until they reestablished communication with the united states navy and the united states earth fleet uh, their th- their territory isn't in Ashtar High Command, which is the sun to Earth, but their main communities, their main authority is from the Kyber uh, Mars to the Kyber Belt to the moons of Jupiter, the moons of Saturn, and beyond. That's also why they're called the Dark Fleet, is because they operate in very low light conditions. They operate almost in perpetual twilight 
because the sun is so dark and so dimmed uh, from the distance. They operate really uh, where very few powers that are not terrestrial to that area, so that are not uh, native to that area, fear to tread or even are able to tread but because they use real which is not a solar energy and it's it's uh it's conjunction with nuclear powered ships and and plutonium and uranium they're able to sustain their fleets uh further away from the sun that is typically possible for the ashtar command and even though they do have hostilities with the ashtar command they uh also are allied to the Orion Draco very closely. And so whereas the Orion Draco go, they go. So you could typically see the two together or you see the two forming a a breakaway civilization inside the cosmic order in which the humans and the Draco hybrids and their allied, uh, the partnership, are forming an independent nation uh, together using uh, the territories of the Orion Draco, the ships and the fleets and the manpower of the uh, Dark Fleet of the Nightwaffen. This oftentimes leads them afoul of the Ashtar High Command and Solar Warden and the human SSPs, but they're also very active in trading and, and dealing in industry and uh, you know resources with us. So it's kind of like the devil that you know situation uh, for us. Um, you know, Jupiter has at least 67 moons, so they have a lot of territory. They have a lot of ground that they control, that they are able to explore and able to exploit. And they also are more likely to come across ancient knowledge and ancient discoveries, say, for example, of the civilization of Nibiru, the Elohim. And thus, they can use that as collateral and strengthen their trade cartels, strengthen their mercenary cartels, and strengthen their breakaway civilization. They... they the, you know, Jupiter and Saturn are basically solar systems onto themselves. Um, there is more land in Jupiter and Saturn than there is that the Ashtar High Command Control, which they create artificial moons and, and, and life ships, these giant crystalline gem ships. And Earth is larger than they say it is, but we still control only the surface of it as Solar Warden and the you know, Luna. And we have some Martian colonies. So they really are doing more when it comes to command and conquering, you know, to actually staking ground and, and sticking flags where no man has ever gone before and expressing and exploring the frontier. So, you know, we really got to understand that they are holding better cards than we are as Solar Warden. They are holding a more established and uh, successful fleet of uh, astronauts and space explorers, uh, mining colonies. They, so they have the experience. They might not have the greatest technologies because they receive a lot of hand-me-downs from the Orion Draco, and they <clears throat> only can use their Vril so that they have to rely on um, the priestess class and the Vril priestess, the, the occult side of their society, to even function. But at the same time, they are... Um, way more established in, in this out cosmic war than the solar warden is than the US Navy is than um, even the Astro High Command is even though the Astro High Command is more dominant in the spheres they control the solar warden controls more of a of a territory um, they created a war with the ring makers of Saturn they created a preemptive strike having already had hostilities and counter hostilities and their attempts to conquer Jupiter 
and colonized Jupiter. So when they encountered a race that existed in the rings of Saturn, they didn't really ask any questions, and they, they didn't try to open up, open up any diplomatic uh, ties or, or uh, relationships with, these cult- with this culture, and they attacked them preemptively. And this culture was incredibly ancient, very mysterious, and very uh, powerful. So Saturn is now the most hostile area in the solar system. It's the most war-torn uh, battle zone in the history of the known universe. And it's all because of the dark fleet, not Waffen. And so they pour most of their resources into this, this open war. That's their sorest engagement that they have. That's their you know Vietnam-esque uh, quagmire that they've developed on their own that they've uh, basically helped create and so um they they consider that their top priority of existence is to destroy and win this war and mean conquer the moons of saturn conquer saturn itself uh saturn has a huge uh mystery to it and that is it's a seems to be a prison created using higher harmonics to imprison a type of fuel energy or a source of fuel, maybe a rift in the cosmos, maybe a uh, sun that, that's light and uh, radioactive, you know, rays they want to harness. But it's the ringmakers were the ones that controlled this prison. And it excites the not often because the real priestesses, their real harnessers, um, sense that there's a great untapped source of fuel and if they can manage to get this fuel source they don't have to rely on earth and its population and they don't have to rely on the slaves which they sell and trade uh, with the earth you know uh, using the, their super soldier programs the various ones to man their ships to man their fleets to man their armies they can then create super beings using um this limitless real source, this real source, which is, you know, godly in, in, in scale compared to the role that they can harness themselves. Um, so the ships that they were cr- created, the ships that they used were hand-me-down Orion Draco fleet ships. They were basically uh, blueprints and designs given to them by the Orion Draco, as well as ships that were reliquary, that were left behind. Uh, in the war, artifacts of the war between them and the Mayan Aztec civilizations and the Germans did a good job of collecting them so that the Germans had an active fleet of UFOs which could travel pole to pole as featured in the Admiral Byrd um, diaries and that they were able to create an Antarctic civilization, a colony in Antarctica, New Schwabenland, that was as large as the continental United States and uh, that was resource-heavy enough to basically springboard them into the Orion Draco Alliance uh, within a matter of years, uh, 10 years at maximum, that they were able to go from first communication with the Orion Draco to being able to colonize Antarctica and the moon. And then from the moon, it took them about 10 years before they were able to get to the moon, to Mars, into the Kuiper Belt. So that places them around the 50s and 60s, and then by the 60s and 70s, they were able to get to Jupiter, Saturn, uh, Uranus, and Neptune. And the 70s, late 70s, early 80s is when they destroyed the ringmakers' um, ships as they encountered them, thus sparking a war that has lasted ever since. So, 40 years of war between them and the ringmakers of Saturn. 
they don't view the reptilians, their Ryan Draco, as a threat to man. They view them as their hidden gods. They also view the greys as the greatest enemy. Um, the rogue greys, the greys seeking independence. So they take the Orion Draco's uh, political views and political positions and that they're trying to destroy these rogue, criminal, uh, murderous, genocidal AI is, uh, in the form of the greys. But at the same time, they view the reptilians as a type of Egyptian pantheon, like as the true rulers and masters of the human race. They view uh, diplomacy with them as the highest uh, achievement one can achieve, one can reach in life. That if a diplomat, a politician, a fleet uh, officer can achieve conference and communication directly with an Orion Draco, especially a ruling class white um, Orion Draco, that they are communicating with living gods. That they are communicating with the premier. Um, uh, species in the universe or in the known universe they will oftentimes uh have greys in their fleet but like with the orion Draco having created the greys they are given authority over them that the greys are submissive to their will and the greys are are basically just uh living computers for their staff to use and you know androids or abandoids the the rogue greys though have the most negative opinion of them by association with the Orion Draco and will seek to destroy them. So when the Dark Fleet joined the Orion Draco, they kind of did it with the, the caveat. I mean, they didn't kind of do it. They did do it with the caveat of being the frontline soldiers, being the, the army to go and engage and destroy the Greys and the Rogue Greys. But it was a bloodbath. It is an absolute meat grinder of an operation that they've been taking. And though they built up to it for the last, you know, century, almost uh, 80 years, they are still receiving heavy losses. They still receive heavy casualties during engagements. Same time, they can dish out a lot of pain. They are sadists. They are bred for war. They are giving, uh, given virtual reality educations. They are driven and and rise from the ranks of of the world. So they are cross national, cross um, uh, heritage, cross cultural. Uh, and they are the SSP volunteers and, and uh, adoptees and victims, and they're transplanted through the virtual realm as candidates. So they're trained in the virtual realm first, and then created the 20-year time loop uh, where they go out, serve in these suicidal missions, suicide, these suicidal colony operations. Uh, then they are basically slaves to the Notwaffen and then return. And yes, it's a very harsh realm. Um, death is at every corner. Death is an invisible um, striker from the dark that can appear at any moment from any situation. They also fight uh, in the Orion Draco Civil War. They they fight the different tribes when there are conflicts. Like you said, it's not uncommon for uh, Orion Draco to serve along human beings and the not often to attack and destroy other um powers of the Orion Draco are the tribes of the Orion Draco, but the Orion Draco themselves are nightmarish enemies. I do not envy the Notwaffen or the Dark Fleet or any member who has been enslaved by them and forced to undertake these missions because it's an absolute uh, meat grinder. This is the most traumatic, uh, violent battlefield scenario you could possibly encounter in, in the known universe, and they're not stupid. They are perfectionists of war. Their entire culture is built on the naval officership of the of the uh, 
not often of the of the dark fleet uh the giza intelligence group they are profound strategists they are profoundly interested in the philosophy of war the development of war the science of it the technology of it that is their modus operandi for existing as a breakaway civilization is to provide the cartel of trade and to provide the mercenary uh forces for the orion draco and mass um these are the nature of war is constant change and they are constantly changing too they are constantly uh proving their technology improving uh their strategies but they've also developed a reputation that's very dark that's very sadistic that's very pessimistic and cynical they are considered as corrupted spiritually as the orion draco that they that they are focused purely on uh power and authority and domination um they they are often represented as the nordic aliens but they're not aliens they're from earth they're just germanic they have dealt with many people on the terrestrial level like military officers in the US navy and uh in the european union which is now the european union and around the world really and they've often disguised themselves as palladians like that's their that's their they're kind of like hey we're palladians but that's not really viable now that the palladians are really in contact with us really in contact with a certain amount of rulings but they used to pretend that they were palladians they used to pretend that they were the venusians but really that they're the nordics and that they uh united space space force has been created to oppose them and oppose their influence on the earth because of the palladian of the ashtar high command's uh request of their uh request that we step up and uh distance ourselves from the notwafen which we have publicly done the the official policy now is to you know um is to say that we are no longer associated with the Notwafen but many of the secret space programs on earth uh, many of the private military many of the uh industrial elements of the secret space program are still highly connected to the Notwafen they're still even co-chaired and co-officered there is a type of leadership exchange between those factions and um and themselves and including that there's suspicion that the UK secret space program is actually run by not often double agents by dark fleet rulers and in disguise so that they've infiltrated every single one of our off-world colonies they singled is infiltrated every single one of our space colonies and the true leadership of even the earth to space uh solar warden and uh SSP's is the dark fleet itself it's kind of like um you know how the cold war is considered a conspiracy theory that if both sides are on the same level if they're both on the same agenda then everything else is just theatrics to try to create a hegelian dialect they've given us so much technology that our technology is indistinguishable from each other so ultimately the the human ssp is created by the orion draco because the orion draco created the dark fleet and dark fleet helped create the the solar warden ssp the us navy ssp and so ashtar command is ultimately um employing the the not often if you consider it in that kind of way without real like you know acceptance of the fact that human humankind is split only along the divisions of ideology not the divisions of technology uh this, these dark triangles these black triangles are their their hallmark their entire uh naval fleet exists in a small on their small platforms and their small vessels as 
as um, black triangles as dark ships that they uh, pilot using real psychic control so there's no real like instruments there's no real avionics they sit inside these ships the, the women do they use a lot of females inside their military efforts hold on one second okay sorry about that and so had to um they created this this the psychic ability to operate the machinery using real and red mercury is their power source and in creating their anti-gravity anti you know inertia type systems and it's high, red mercury exposed to high voltage the voltage power source is what the vril is responsible for it's also to kind of serve as a pre-precognizance of the of the mapping of the navigational duties of the of the dark fleet of these personal individualized ships the solar warden the u.s space program took many years into understanding how to develop and uh create artificial guidance systems for these ships artificial navigation systems avionics for the ships in the form of supercomputers and pilot helmets that can link to the neural uh neural abilities neural uh, uh, abilities of the pilots sorry the, the test pilots of the pilots of these fleets for our sake and for our use but they don't require such cybernetics they don't require such um, manipulation of their pilots of their uh, staff to create uh, adequate navigators adequate uh, fighters for their for their fleet and so overall their health during induction into the SSP once they are a member of the society is very uh, beneficial to them health wise is very beneficial to them spiritually so as they grow as higher density beings as they grow into their full potential they are able to better pilot and better to, able to navigate uh, with you know in the dark fleet and with these vessels so it helps them to gain experience the more experienced they are the better they are the more efficient they are as, as pilots and so they ultimately um cherish the experience that that they take while you know performing their duties and while performing uh their operations and rise accordingly in authority and with the power of um with their powers with their with their abilities so admirals for example have decades of experience inside the dark fleet and they operate the largest of craft as well as uh, maneuver and give the commands to the smaller crafts in their fleets now these these are usually either uh, running caravans they're running gigantic fleets you know, obviously a dark fleet of many ships, of many several dozen ships in the old world armada style, but they also are able to explore in solitary configurations, in isolated configurations of maybe just one or two ships. And thus, they make expert explorers. They make expert um, uh, research vessels. They make expert... Um, uh, map makers and things like that. And they're able to exist and create colonies on the most desolate and barren of locations, of moons, of comets, of, um, you know, meteoroids. They basically are able to um, 
craft existences that would seem impossible to normal men, to normal human beings. And they really owe the real and the real mastery. Uh, you know that that's what's responsible for this. They owe they owe a lot to real. They are able to go without food, without uh, water or entertainment. They are able to go uh, without companionship for extended periods of time, great, much greater and much uh, longer than the regular human biology and physiology typically allows. Because they harness frill and orgone, and even though it's not a limitless supply of energy personally for people, for, for human beings to exist on, it does greatly enhance stamina and it greatly enhances durability. Basically, wherever NASA has explored or wherever we have set our sights, the Dark Dwarfin has explored first. They have been and knocked at the door and, and gained entry to these uh, great unknowns, these great advanced steps. There have been rumors and speculations that there are elements of the Dark Fleet, ships, uh, armadas, things like that, that have already left the solar system's edge, that have already left the boundaries of what we know as known space and colonized worlds and other solar systems. And, you know, they have the ships, they have the technology to do it. Building O'Neill cylinders is not beyond them. And as the greys exist solely on these O'Neill cylinders, the Dark Fleet exists on O'Neill cylinders too. They typically prefer brick-and-mortar type uh, colonies, colonies derived on land masses such as the planetoids, moons, uh, planet surfaces, etc. But they also are able to create gigantic ships, uh, ships much larger than Solar Warden is able to create, much larger than um, any well-known human SSP is able to create. Uh, using Vril, using uh, Zero-G construction, using the Orion Draco blueprints, and uh, using, uh, speculated they use the 4D goo. They, it's speculated that they use the 4D black programmable matter, the, the, the uh, crystalline of black obsidian shards that they can program, and which act as liquid uh, metal, as it acts as a, like this super conductive supercomputer that's organic and it survives in the, the harshest of conditions because of their psychic ability. Once again, because of their real mastery. Like I said before, a typical human being who is exposed to 4D black programmable matter will be consumed by it, will be utterly corrupted by it, and their organic substances will be converted to the 4D programmable matters material, and they would quickly die and be consumed and be eaten and transformed into more black 4D matter. The real power allows them to supply the 4D matter with energy and thus not be consumed by it, but thus halting its uh, carnivorous nature. Um, their fleets, like I said, have operated like lone wolves in every aspect of, of, um, of the, uh, in every direction and every, in every territory of the solar system, and they are officially really not allowed to to move within Earth space because of the Solar Warden's protection of it and with the Ashar Command's uh, claim over Earth, but they still do anyway. They still move unhindered uh, in and out of our orbit. In fact, there have been several major battles recently uh, between the Dark Fleet and the so uh, Solar Warden and uh, Ashar High Command uh, regarding Antarctica and regarding their territories in Antarctica. 
Now, this is aided and abetted by mercantile industrial SSPs that consider space to be an industrial uh, battle zone, industrial conglomerate zone fit for the taking. But at the same time, Dark Fleet can do this because they they have so many vessels. They have such a strong warfighting presence. They have such a strong force of arms that open engagements with them are not uncommon but at the same time not favorable they're not they're not uh, advised on any strategic level because they just bring the fucking pain they just they do not fuck around when it comes to combat and we had to learn this through cross training and cross uh, referencing interrogated materials old battle history old battle plans and things like that like basically it's the history channel for the secret space program that we had to watch and memorize and study and be tested after and, and excel at and dark fleet the term dark fleet is a earthly term it's an earthly term used in commerce and 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 merchant marine type craft when they travel without a GPS when they travel without any kind of announcement illegally to escape embargo to escape uh, tariffs and uh, sanctions exactly the same thing with the Nottwaffen exactly the same thing with the Nottwaffen I will call them the Nottwaffen now but when I refer to them as the Dark Fleet it's because their nickname has been so ingrained into the heads of everyone that's an official name it's a type of um, it's a type of insult because while they consider themselves masters of intergalactic of, of interstellar uh, commerce, they are considered pirates. They're considered rogues. They're considered smugglers, and they travel without any advisement, any warning, any uh, permission in and out of people's territories, in and out of other races, species, territories, in and out of. Um, dominions and domains traveling with their goods but they do so in such a great number of vehicles and they do such in great number of starships and um and alliances with other races that it's nigh impossible to counter them prepare for them or even attempt to stop them it's not that they have advanced technology it's the fact they travel within hundreds of vessels in any one of these caravans of any one of these trade uh fleets and the vessels themselves are from almost a dozen or more um, techno technological uh, trees, technological species' advancements. Uh, they, they operate inside the Earth's atmosphere, not with near impunity, but with um, a type of cold respect, a type of... Uh, you know, the way the Dutch East India Company on Earth in our history and in its timeline operated around the world as a de facto authority in their trade and then the merchant marines because the ideas of national territory and national defense and boundaries were stretched to their limits when you were considering whole new continents and whole new worlds. Inside their own colonies, inside their own cities, these space cities uh, that they've created on moons and uh, various um, atmospheres and ecosystems, and a sense of industrial hedonism, a sense of nihilism, a sense of decadence excels. You cannot get really away from the sense of commercialism and mercantilism. Everyone who exists as a citizen exists as a slave. Everyone who exists as a technician or industrial uh, capacity exists as a slave. They exist to be 
placated and their desires satisfied but not really nourished or, or um, given the proper respect as spiritual beings as, as, as physical entities inside a lifetime they are more so just accepted as um, accepted as a liability or as something which can be profited from uh, in a fractal understanding like they not only profit the greater system with their labor but they profit the smaller systems with their commerce and with their desires and with their with their their uh, purchasing power now it's a completely falsified economy that each state runs on a digital currency each state runs on a limited amount of knowledge individually but really the true intellectuals the true officership comes from earth like i said it's called the giza intelligence group they come from earth they're from germanic and prussian stock dutch stock european stock for the most part but there's a huge african contingent to it there's a huge african understanding to it specifically egyptian nile river delta type uh personnel so you see some arabs you see some shahs uh members of saudi arabia and the expats around that whole situation including the Schwarz Commando and uh, Vichy French Spanish Italian Austrian Hungarian basically the Axis powers of war to, oh, and, and the Japanese don't let me forget that, that uh, that's a huge element to it that's a huge part of it is that the Imperial Japanese help out too and I'll get to their their contributions in a second but the Imperial Japanese is a major part of this um so, yes, they discovered the reliquary, uh, the abandoned ships of the Orion Draco in the abandoned wonders of the old world before the burial, the reset, in Egypt under the pyramids, or using the pyramids as the inspiration to explore. And it was all buried in sand. It was all buried under feet, hundreds of feet of sand um, from the great uh, original atomic wars and weather wars. Um, they created sandstorms, they created a great destabilizing floods that, that buried this technology and buried their civilization. Unearthing it, though, they had to learn the Egyptian language, and once they had learned the Egyptian language, they were able to interpret the Egyptian religion. And once they were able to, able to interpret the Egyptian religion, they were able to interpret Egyptian magic. And once they were able to interpret Egyptian magic, they were able to understand the Vril. And thus the Orion Draco had completed their um, safety plan, their emergency plan for if they were ever defeated, they were able to convert and seduce the human population that was made up to the planet Earth to eventually support them as gods, as, as refugee gods, as exiled gods. And using the technologies that were left behind inside these monolithic, uh, neolithic type civilizations, these ancient world civilizations, the Third Reich was able to develop an invincible army, an invincible navy and uh, air force. They were able to secure lands and create safe colonies in unreachable but incredibly rich environments. And they were able to do so um, with near impunity given this advancement technology. Thus, they saw the kind of, the, the victory of their ways, went into hiding to try to hide this technology, to try to hide this, uh, this, this achievement of theirs. And inside the forests of Europe, uh, the Teutonberg Forest, the Black Forest of Germany, uh, Mount, the Owl Mountains of Poland, 
they created these underground installations, these underground industrial installations and factories and weapons depots. They basically created an underground civilization since the 30s. And they operate in both this underground hand-in-hand fashion with the over on top of ground the surface elements of their existence and say like dlr which is the german space program now it's the official german space program is an element of the old third reich giza intelligence group as you can tell it's symbol uh, the symbolism behind it is very teutonic it's very runic it's very aryan it's very vril um this is an image of the colonization of Earth by the Orion Draco. And as you can tell, it was a kind of a long-haul plan for them to eventually establish a, a, a nation of people who are capable of championing their ideals and creating this program which would unite them again in the stars. While the Orion Draco have no more authority really on the surface world of Earth, they still exist as a heavily spiritual influence in the elements of mankind. And it comes out as manifesting itself in the elite and the ruling class of the world. The DLR is the face of the uh, Third Reich space program, which the Giza Intelligence Group is called the Dark Fleet. It's called the Nachtwaffen. You know, for budgetary reasons, for um, PR reasons, public relations reasons, you know, things like that of that nature. It's ultimately all the SS. It's ultimately all boils down to the Ananarbe, to the occult elements of the SS, to the occult elements of the Third Reich. Not every member of the Third Reich was in on this program, mind you. None of the Gestapo really was. None of the uh, official type of um, foot soldier, like the the most basic in, in rank and file of your Nazis, were not members of this elite occult knowledge. Only the members of the SS, only members of the most occult and most educated and most open-minded of circles were. And they were initiated and given the occult uh, initiations both into the Freemasonic rites but both into the Viril rites and thus able to understand their greater divine purpose, to understand their purpose in the space fleet as greater and divine. Thus, they were able to make the sacrifices and leave Earth and leave the surface of the planet. This was in conjunction with many secret societies. Many secret societies existed in the military at the time and around their fellow Axis nations. And in fact, uh, elements of the Soviet Union were also part of it, as well as members of the Allies that were working closely with them as double agents in the intelligence uh, field. And so basically you get this uh, collage, you get this map that eventually became the Dark Fleet, that you eventually become the Nachtwaffen, the the night, uh, the night Force, the Night uh, Air Force, um, the, the Air Force of the Stars, the Air Force of the, of the Heavens. Uh, and that's what you get as the first human, I mean besides the Mayan Aztec, the first modern human space program. And it was completely allied with the Orion Draco, completely caused and insinuated with the Allied Draco. And they viewed the stars, they viewed the the planetary bodies and around the sun as uh, open territory, as territory to be explored and to be conquered and to be exploited. 
Now, when they first left, they came into contact with the Greys, uh, the Reptilians, obviously, and then the Ashtar High Command. They were offered a position in the Ashtar High Command, but because they were so adept at Vril and they were so developed already with the Orion Draco Empire, they refused it. They saw that the Ashtar High Command offered nothing that they that they considered ideal. They, they thought the deal was uh, rather lackluster when it came to the Orion Draco's offer. And so they chose alliance with the Orion Draco and sealed their fates. They were able to engage and destroy a lot of extraterrestrial intelligences. Uh, originally, they were basically lesser races, but in doing so, they were then able to exploit that achievement, which was handed to them by the Orion Draco, and then recruit even more uh, members of the Earth. And this is where they get most of their members. Membership, the new membership, is not only through breeding programs out in their colonies and in their ships, but also from nations of the former Soviet bloc that used to be nations of the Soviet Union when it existed, nations of the Baltics, nations of the the uh, Netherlands, nations of Finland, Sweden, Switzerland, and um, Poland, Germany, France, Spain, Italy, Greece, some members of the British community, some members of the American community, many members of the uh, South American community from Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Peru, Bolivia, Uruguay, Paraguay, Colombia, Bogota, uh, um, Colombia, uh, Venezuela, um, up until Mexico. And they can even some Canadians that they draw from and draft into the Dark Fleet. That was just the logo of the Dark Fleet, by the way. That was something that was similar, very, very similar to the logo of the Dark Fleet that I remember uh, seeing in my personal experiences working as a as a military intelligence officer and solo warden. It's type of two diamonds or two half triangles uh, connected to each other, you know, in the middle. And it's very much like the symbol of Satan uh, and the. Uh, Solomon, uh, the, the the seal of Solomon. It's very, um, very satanic. It's very much like the X, the one one, and the X on the other side to make nine, uh, the nine eleven, as you were. Uh, you know that kind of symbol. They appear to people, the scientists. They appear to industrial leaders. They appear to world leaders. At you know, in person, when they want to recruit them, typically if they're of European descent or of European approved descent, such as the South American European expats or the African South African European expats, etc., and they appear to people without even hiding the fact they are German. They try to allude to the fact that they're Palladian but will speak in high German or broken English, and they'll uh, have very German mannerisms and still a very German cultural attributes. And wear, wear uh, Waffen-SS uniforms, typically gray, typically black, typically dark-colored with emblems, shoulder emblems, very earthly, very human. Uh, many people have experienced SSP, my lab type productions, and seen uh, members wear open swastika badges, open SS emblems, open runic uh, symbology um, to, to kind of nail the point home that they are not ashamed nor are they um, even really cautious when presenting themselves as members of the Third Reich or uh, of this Giza intelligence group with Third Reich heritage. Because they are proud. They are proud of their achievements. They are proud of their rank and file. They are proud of their uh, associations and their affiliations and their uh, alliance with the Orion Draco. They feel like they are on the right side of history, that they are correct 
in their decisions and create correct in their in their uh, decision making process, and and their efforts are noble and that they are um, really really you know they're better for they're more powerful for their associations. Like I said, they have a lot of bases on the Kyber Belt. They have formed a type of orbital uh, planet with with. Uh, directed and manipulated asteroids in the Kuiper Belt. And they're basically a collection of these asteroids tightly and densely packed together. They form it, they call it Melonia. And basically it was the remnants of a planet called Fantima. And this phantom planet exists between Mars and Jupiter. It's huge in size, much larger than Earth uh, area-wise, but has no central core. And it's held together through powers of Rill. And that's that's the heart of their operation is, is between Mars and Jupiter. And that is the largest collected population of the Notwaffen. That's the largest collected fleet population of the Notwaffen. That is the central operating hub of the Notwaffen and their the center of their authority. And they were gifted these planets by the Orion Draco, uh, who have a large amount of dominant presence and force inside the Kyber Belt. As you can tell on this map that the industrial Japanese are also uh, aware of the not often and, and kind of participate. And the scale of their participation is debated, but it is substantial. It is just as large as their participation in the Axis Alliance in World War II. But like I said before, that they don't operate normally around the sun or within our atmosphere. They Their goals are to go further away from the sun further away from the domination of the Ashtar High Command and the Earth's SSPs, which are operated by their rival military powers on Earth, the U.S. Navy. So, of course, it benefits, say, for example, the Axis Japanese, the Japanese imperialists, and part of the SSP to be further away from their arch rivals, from their enemies, just so they could not only guarantee their own survival, but guarantee the rewards of their exploration go uh, unstolen and go unshared. Um, they are also practitioners of frill. They are also practitioners of the the occult Orion Draco influence and their own aspects. They uh, serve in the Notwapen without without any kind of distinguishability, without any kind of uh, attempt at independence. You can find many, many nations, many, many powers and creeds from the earth serving in the Notwapen and believing in the same occult beliefs, believing in the same occult prices. For example, there's a lot of Muslim um, at Dark Waffen uh, officers, Dark uh, Fleet officers, not Waffen officers from Iran and from Iraq and from these noble tribes of Saudi Arabia, and they believe in the Norse uh, Aryan universal worldview, the Orion Draco as living Egyptian gods, uh, the Vril as the one true harnessable uh, uh you know, a uh, power source from the divine, etc., etc. No matter what their earthly creed is, they typically will recruit leadership and they will recruit free thinking members, not mind controlled slaves, not slaves to be mind uh, wiped later on or to be disposed of later on in these real sacrifices, but they will produce the free thinking priest class, officer class from human secret societies. Typically, uh, Freemasons, typically members of the of the uh, Luciferian occult mystery schools of the ancient religions, they 
incorporate a lot of slaves into their to their authority, into their worldview, into their uh, fleet. And they use a lot of brainwashing and trauma control, and they're not as particularly, they don't care for their well-being as much as you typically would a citizen or a free-born human being. If they are cloned, and this is where it's going to get a little spooky, if it, they're cloned or they are kidnapped or they are uh, sold to them, if they are purchased, they are not treated with equal rights. They are not treated equally. They are treated as property. They are a commerce property. They are one of the few economic resources which is universal to the Third Reich. Not specific metals or specific technologies or specific uh, resources like credits. They, the MK Ultra mind uh, control slave, the slave that is already conditioned, the slave that is willing and able to perform slave duties, is the most valuable resource to them. That is the resource that they trade in the thousands between each other. That is the resource which they trade with the Earth and the Solar Warden and the uh, Earth industrial uh, communities with and for. They trade technology for these slaves. Their ultimate purpose is to achieve immortality. As a culture, the Dark Fleet is, head, is progressing towards one destination in their mind, and that is to achieve immortality. They don't feel like there's an afterlife, and their resource, their manipulations by the Orion Draco, they don't have a, a view of their own uh, divinity. They just have a view of the reptilians' divinity, of the Orion Draco's divinity. So their main quest is to achieve enough technological dominance, enough technological achievement to create immortal individuals. They call it the singularity. But this drives their civilization is to achieve a generation that does not have to reproduce because it will never die. Thus, you get rid of the fact that you have to orient your life amongst creating offspring and benefiting those offspring into the selfish pursuit that you just have to live your life for yourself and for your community because you yourself are uh, immortal because you yourself will never die. They achieve... They, I've understood this since the very beginning because they explored the Great Pyramids and found um, the, the, the techniques, the science behind um, how to achieve immortality and the, the secrets of the priest and the biblical class heroes and figures who could live hundreds of years. The reptilians that they communicated with came as personifications of these Egyptian deities, these Egyptian gods. They came as personified gods having claimed immortality because, like I said, the, the regular uh, reptilian, their life cycle is different than the human being, so they continue to grow into um, command powers greater than their own as they grow for hundreds of years. They can live for centuries um, and they also have technology which is ununderstood by us. It's a stasis chamber, such as rejuvenation, uh, uh, sarcophagi, etc. And thus they're able to portray immortality very effectively, even though they aren't really immortal. 
you, you know, they're just super durable. They're just super long-lived. They have a lot of longevity. That the humans have believed the issue of immortality. They believe the promise of immortality. And the Orion Draco hold this quote-unquote secret, and they use that to continue to control the Dark Fleet, no matter how powerful the Dark Fleet can get. That's why there's really no independent movement of the Dark Fleet. There's no independent uh, Noctwaffen, or no Noctwaffen that is good, or considered... Um, you know, off the off the the chain from the Orion Draco command is because they all seek to be rewarded with eternal life. The real priestesses can become excessively powerful as witches. They become excessively powerful sorcerers who can wield reality bending um, powers of the mind and of the of the spirit and the will but their ultimate goal is to achieve immortality and to be forever young and to be forever uh growing at the same time so they'll perform these blood sacrifices with their own membership they'll they'll perform these psychedelic trips these these journeys inside their own mind as they explore the ancient mystery initiations for the sake of immortality and reptilians the orion draco will tell them that they are achieving immortality as long as they continue to do this even though what's really happening is they're just vampirizing and cannibalizing their own community's spirit and soul and life force and their will to live to create um a effectively long-lived um ruling class but it's not true immortality they are starting to experiment more and more with clones and transferring consciousness because as they age and it's already been 80 years as the not as the leading officers age and these real priestesses age and experience mortality experience aging and death they realize that they haven't achieved immortality yet and so a huge emphasis is put on clones the trading of clones the dealing with human life uh, they don't really partake in the creation of synthetic life or synthetic humans but they will actively buy clones by the thousands specifically to serve as backup organs backup vessels as you know your your physical medical resources that you need and hopefully even one day achieve the ability to put their consciousness inside these blank bodies they call them blanks um and so like for example a single member that they view as worthy or they view as valuable of a society can be kidnapped DNA extracted, mind uh, controlled, while their body is cloned hundreds if not thousands of times, given the viability of their, gen the, their genetics, their strength of their genetics, cloned and then sold and traded to the Notwaffen for either raw organs, uh, you know, the materials, like, the, like every single part of the materials which can be used as transplants, can be used to help increase their natural life, or to be actual blanks and vessels for the, for the officer's consciousness and for their memories and for their, uh, you know, personalities, as well as to be lobotomized, mind-controlled, uh, you know, undeveloped mentally and spiritually slaves. And they, these slaves have no chance of freedom and they have no chance of being able to leave or resist their occupation. 
militarily because this channel is about the military and this channel is about the armed forces of such you know I think we're getting too much as the economy of their culture and the, the ideals of the culture they favor orbital bombardment they will fucking glass a planet like I said they bring the pain they are the most offensive and the most destructive uh, force outside the greys when it comes to waging war um, while the greys may be just coldly logical and absolutely um, efficient in their in their ends and their motives. The dark fleet is absolutely sadistic. Is absolutely uh, a totalitarian, uh, iron-handed force when it comes to uh, waging war and uh, destroying their enemies. They will nuke planets. They will. Uh, glass them with orbitable lasers with, with what the, you know Star Wars calls turbital lasers but really they're just these gigantic multi-megawatt uh, lasers uh, that, that just fry a planet's surface they'll use solid state bombardment by dropping tungsten rods uh, by the thousands they will create fleets of these orbital bombardment ships and just wage non-stop sieges to the surface of worlds um it's an extremely effective, if not incredibly heinous and brutal, way of expressing your domination over an area, over a territory from orbit. And it is not light or subtle in at all. They don't care the collateral damage. They don't care about uh, innocents trapped in crossfire. They don't care about even um, the proportionality of responses. If they are threatened or if they are engaged or resisted in their efforts, they will they will not resist the, the temptation of just destroying um, competition. They will not resist the temptation of destroying opposition. And they will do so in ways that permanently affect and scar that population in that territory. They have extincted races before. They have performed genocides before. They have um, destroyed countless artifacts of irreplaceable importance and powers of magnitude. But it's all just a day in the life of a super soldier. It's all just a day in the life of a Nachtwaffen officer. Uh, your typical commanding officer has done that same routine dozens of times. It is standard operating procedure to be as destructive as possible and to uh, to instill in the uh, the, the galaxy or the, the solar system the fear of the Nachtwaffen, the reputation as theirs to maintain and to hold as being extremely dangerous, extremely violent, extremely sadistic. Um, their soldiers on the ground level are all biologically engineered super soldiers. They are given... They are called werewolves because while they may look like regular human beings, sure, physically fit human beings, sure, uh, militaristic human beings, given lifetimes of training and discipline, they are able to hulk up, quote-unquote, hulk up and create massive surges of physical energy, massive surges of physicality. And typically, they are the Aryan ideal, which includes men between six to seven feet tall, if not taller, and weighing excess of 200 50 to 300 pounds these are gigantic Arnold Schwarzenegger type looking men um, and women and because uh, women are included in these fighting forces too but right now we're talking about the men which operate as shock troopers which operate as suicidal shock troopers they are skilled in all range war, uh, weaponry and they're skilled in all melee weaponry typically it's not something too 
um, high concept or advanced. These are still gunpowder and solid shot weapons, uh, rifled barrels, uh, machine guns, cannons, um, things like that, recoilless cannons, uh, missiles, uh, rocket propeller grenades, hand throw grenades, you know, different kinds of gas canisters, different types of shot. Sure, they have the highest end equipment. But very little has really changed since their appearance in the 40s and the 50s into the cosmic fray. They still use earthly developed weapons, weapons which feel comfortable to the human hand, weapons that feel comfortable to the earthling in their, in their domination of the universe. They use a lot of body armor, a lot of cybernetics, uh, for example, replacing whole limbs, legs, arms, um, etc., organs to create higher potentials in, in soldiers. They create bio-superior soldiers. They use a lot of melee attacks, which is which is uh, rare for someone in such a, a state of power. But at the same time, their ex- extra speed and extra um, uh, stamina and suicidal bents, uh, suicidal persuasion into engaging the enemy is is what they excel at, is what they benefit from. They also create mech suits. They create um, mecha, mechanical uh, warriors, mecha, mechanical walking type tanks. The spider tank is not an uncommon sight in the battlefield, such as the one that you that was shown in a Ghost in the Shell. Uh, they use walkers. They use walkers of various sizes, like the Starship Troopers type jump vehicle uh, suit. Uh, to create uh, troops that are able to cross a lot of ground and prepare nuclear strikes and weaponry from a ground level by either positioning lasers or positioning intelligence and sighting, scouting, things like that, or even waging direct, uh, you know, terroristic strikes on human and I mean, extraterrestrial uh, civilizations as well as human colonies. They use a lot of women soldiers, like I said, paired with the, the highest shell, highest end weaponry, tactical suits. Uh, training, etc. They fare just equally as efficiently as, as human males. They fare efficiently because they have been raised to be warriors their entire life. They use Vril to motive to inspire them to uh, create the the psychic fortifications and energies required to go to battle, as well as to uh, motivate the the human males inside their ranks. While they operate more like special forces uh, warriors in our own military, taking out single targets, uh, hostage gather uh, rescue, um, selected target retrieval, extraction, uh, you know, extended. Um, scouting campaigns, uh, trailblazing campaigns, things like that. They, these women are raised from birth to be warriors. They are raised without any sense of mercy. They are raised to be fighters in the most extreme conditions and circumstances. But their female form, the female biology, is best at harnessing the orgone vril, is best at harnessing the orgone vril. So these women are typically used as uh, sexual zealots. It was while they were younger, so you see a lot more teen women, you see a lot more young women who they harness that desire to create these witch soldiers. These witch soldiers are currently being demonstrated that on the uh, show Salem, or um, the Fort Salem, sorry, the show Fort Salem. Very, very uh, heavy-handed disclosure is that young women, if given military training from birth and uh, initiation to the occult, can become extremely dangerous and deadly warriors in their own right. They become a, a you know, a um, 
they, they're able to manipulate quantum timelines, able to manipulate odds, able to manipulate the physical reality as if it were a dream, while also being able to bring um, serious physical, uh, militaristic, um, uh, you know, determination to an event, to be able to, to, to actually um, control uh, the physicality of the situation. Like I said before, the Japanese, the Imperial Japanese, also provide a lot of the ground troops, and they provide a lot of the uh, female ground troops, uh, specifically because they have a strong history with priestess classes and with priestess-empowered-type warriors, female samurai, etc. And they, br they bring that type of initiation from birth uh, type of mindset that type of experience, that type of uh, dedication into into the fourfold of their 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 war efforts, and so they're extremely likely to encounter uh, you know a young Japanese ethnic an ethnically Japanese girl or woman as a frontline special forces soldier in the Notwaffen, typically a clone, uh, but the ideal is the same is that they they that's their contribution. They typically rely on low altitude um, vessels as ships, planes to uh, to create a, 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 bomb a bombing type um, fleet they have been developing these flying wings since the 30s since the 40s and they've perpetuated that design into the future you know of the not often of the dark fleet that they use these designs it's not uncommon to see black triangles it's not uncommon to see flying wings acting as uh, bombers acting as uh, low altitude fighters acting as scouts they have basically varieties of these flying wings to cover every single purpose that an air force could muster and 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 need their air force comes from carrier sheet of uh, ships in orbit and then they are dropped and released like uh, armament into the orbit along with the orbital bombardments where they are then allowed to uh, create even you know finer edge scalpel cuts into the the battlefield and they are able to eliminate targets um uh, stealthily and speedily that might have been missed or might be maneuvering against uh, the the orbital drop ships, the orbital bombarders of this of the higher altitude space fleet. That being said, that kind of covers up a brief summary of their military efforts, of their military industrialization efforts. But I think a lot has to be said that uh, most of their efforts are spent to the industrial mining side of operations. And that within their colonies, you'll find fleets of these vehicles, fleets of these flying Vs, these, these flying wings, which will act as... Um, you know, intercolony type Air Force inter, uh, ground level responses for their own defense and for dealing trade materials, dealing populations, uh, necessities for travel. But this is the architecture and the engineering which they are most famous for. Like I said, recently there was a battle in Antarctica. There are constant skirmishes uh, across their territory, across their empire. But the way they're set up, besides having an affinity and a necessity to have some kind of presence on the Earth, they really don't have to have any single one of their territories 
uh, forever. They, everything is ultimately considered expendable, and they're considered highly maneuverable. They can transport their uh, resources, their colonies' population, their uh, industrial wealth and resources to other colonies, to other ends of the earth, relatively very quickly. And um, they can do so because these ships harness magnetic waves. They harness the magnetic uh, currents in which we call it the tidal system for the, mag- the, uh, the, the, the planet in questions. Magnetic fields very quickly. And like I said, their ideal is to eventually achieve what the Orion Draco they think have achieved which is immortality and yes there are members of their of their uh, faction that have kind of grown suspicious of the Orion Draco have kind of seen them as as uh, the predators the carnivores uh, parasitic vampiric uh, race that they are but they are still enamored into the culture they're indoctrinated into the, the culture and worship of their technology uh, some dark fleet officers uh, at a certain level are brought into the Orion Draco motherships, the Orion Draco pyramid ships, and given positions within their fleet. And it's considered a very high honor in their culture. It's considered the, the, you know, the peak of their promotion. But when they are brought to these ships, their personalities are exchanged with that of Orion Draco so that the, when they are returned, the Orion Draco are inhabiting their bodies as piloting like a ghost in a shell and thus able to create the, the, the uh, domination of their culture their, their, uh, and cement the authority of the Orion Draco. So ultimately, the Dark Fleet is not an independent uh, force, even though it is a breakaway civilization from Earth and made up of Earthlings. Ultimately, it is an Orion Draco faction. It is a uh, faction which exists on the dark side and of the spiritual spectrum. This has been Rumors of War, 1987. Thank you for taking this ride with me. I appreciate it. Iron sharpens iron. A friend sharpens a friend. God bless you all. Be kind to each other. Love thy neighbor as you would thyself. Thank you very much. And I'll see you next time.